Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of Roundball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a hoop ball. Oops, it's not. It's a sports ethos presentation. Why do I keep forgetting? Sports ethos presentation. So check out sports ethos on Twitter at sports ethos online. Just a simple sports ethos.com. Uh, really simple to get all of your content that you're looking for, not only in the world of fantasy sports, not only in the world of basketball, but also baseball now, um, football as well, college sports. It's all there. And by the way, while you're there, take a moment to follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. It's the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's fast in the competition and it provides more analysis too. Again, that's at ethos fantasy bk on twitter make sure you follow now uh on round ball ramble you know we talk about basketball and i'm joined just i'm pumped of course as always to be joined by my friend uh host of duncan dynasty movie extraordinaire basketball savant russell westbrook hater but it's all good because one of my best friends garrett bouguet garrett how you doing sir I'm I'm doing really well. It's a it's a fun time of the year for 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 both movies because we're getting sort of those uh those end of the year Oscar Oscar releases coming out here in the near future. And uh, yeah, basketball wise, it's also really fun because we've got the, the all-star game stuff coming as well as the, the trade deadline. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. That is good to hear, sir. That is good to hear. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I was just talking to you before we recorded uh, about the time y'all listen to this. Uh, you'll find out because I'm about to give you the date. We're recording this on the late night into the early morning of the 6th. Um, but we are on the 5th right now of February. The Lakers beat the Knicks in a hard-fought, and I repeat hard-fought game, um, where they're down 21, clawed back, and won the game in a game that Kendrick Nunn was actually questionable for, but didn't play. Um, but anyways, you know, everything here is just, it's peachy. Um, as a Laker fan, we are still under 500, and championship expectations exist, and we are just under a week until the trade deadline. But, you know, we are all good. Um, because we're going to talk to... We're going to talk, of course, Garrett, about all-star stumps and then some trade scuttlebutt. We're going to break down that Clippers-Blazers trade again into more detail. I know uh, by the time I listen to this, I've already have talked about the honor route, but it's just it was such an annoying trade. Plus, Garrett, from more of a Blazers perspective, can add more because I honestly have nothing further to add to that. So let's start with the all-star snubs, though, Garrett. You know, the all-star team was announced, both um, starters and reserves by now, so we know where we stand on that. Um, I guess we can kind of run through the teams. Uh, well, I mean, those, not the teams, but the roster, the pool, if you will. You have Team Durant, who is injured and will be getting an injury replacement. You also have Team LeBron out of the pool of players. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin, of course, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, and Trey Young. Those are your starters. Um, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Nicole Jokic, John Morant, and Andrew Wiggins are your starters for the West. Uh, as far as the East Pool of Reserves, you have Jimmy Butler, Darius Garland, James Harden, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, and Fred Van Vliet. On the West side, you have Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Carl Anthony Town. So throwing this over to you here, we, we see the teams, we see the rosters, there will be injury replacements for Kevin Durant as well as I'm trying to remember who the other player that's not going to be playing in it is. Um, Draymond. Draymond Green. Thank you. Draymond Green on the West. So we'll have two uh, replacements 
for these teams. But as always, whenever there's some nominees, there's so many, you know, usually great candidates to make the all-star team that are on the outside looking in. Let's go into kind of your list of all-star snubs. I'm intrigued. Okay, so I've got uh, I've got two two guys in the East that I think should uh, should have gotten in, and I actually have the guys that I would pick that they should actually have replaced on the roster as well. Um, and then I also have okay. an injury. I have an injury replacement in the East, and then I have one guy in the West that I think should have made it over over actually a starter in the West. You probably know who I'm referring to. I, I think I do. <laughs> and then, uh, I've got another, uh, another guy that I'll have as the, as the Draymond green injury replacement. So we'll, we'll start with the East and uh, the, the first snub that I have, and this guy has been on an absolute tear in uh, the last few weeks. I think Pascal Siakam is a, is an all-star. Really? I mean, he's, okay. putting, up, uh, he's putting up, about uh, 21 points per game, 8.6 rebounds, 5.1 assists, career high assist percentage, shooting 68% at the rim, 44% in the short mid range, 35% from three. He's also done, you know, a, a pretty decent job on the defensive glass. The Raptors are, are doing a better job on the, on that, uh, on that side of things when Siakam is on the court. He's also got a career high in free throw rate and PER and, you know, when you watch the Raptors, obviously they're a, they're a team that on the defensive end is flying around and wreaking havoc. And Siakam has, has just been absolutely excellent on that end. And, you know, he's, he's carrying with a, a relatively high usage, the, the half-court offense for the Raptors. Toronto's got, uh, they're six points better in the half-court when Siakam's on the floor and 9.8 point better overall per 100 possessions with Siakam on the floor so yeah he's uh, he's really done it more in the last like you know 20 or so games he's been on a tear but I, I think that's uh, that's gotten him a, a deserving spot on this team wow I mean listen I've seen a few Pascal Siakam games recently and he has been playing just amazingly well so I will give credit when credit is due there for sure um I just, I, you know what? I think that he's someone that maybe is it. Do you think that he came on late in the season or not later in the season, but just kind of picked up steam as we went along? Because I know if you look at the Raptors for the most part of the year, the big story was, was Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Fred Van Vliet is, is a deserving guy. And, and, you know, again, I'll, I'll mention with all my snubs who I, who I would have them replace. And for, for Siakam, I, I think he should replace James Harden on this team. Wow. Okay. No. Wow. You know, I'm not surprised, but I am surprised because James Harden's um, counting stats look decent, you know, per usual, but I do think that he's been up and down a lot more volatile for sure. What's kind of your knock on Harden for this year? Is it just that? I mean, 33% from three and 52% at the rim, both uh, really low for his, his norm. I mean, he's still, he still has a decent efficiency just because he's still a master at getting to the free throw line and converting there. But pretty much every other area of his offensive game has suffered. And, you know, he's certainly not helping the Brooklyn Nets defense. And the Nets are, are 2.4 points worse for 100 possessions with James Harden on the floor. Um, and, you know, obviously that's in part because, you know, you've, you've got Kevin Durant a lot of times playing in the minutes when, when James Harden sits. But, uh, you know, he's just not having the, the kind of monumental impact that he has had in years past. and. He also just has, you know, kind of been 
going through the motions, it seems, this season. I think so as well. He seems like someone who I think his attitude is largely kind of um, – it bleeds into how he plays, you know? And I think this year he's obviously expressed frustration, of course, with how – he not how he's been utilized more so in terms of him expecting to be you know equal parts and kind of waltz into a title alongside Kevin Durant and James Harden I mean Kevin Durant and, and, and Kyrie Irving and that hasn't been the case he had the shoulder a lot more of a load I don't think he came into camp in the best of shape um hamstring issues again have been have been a problem for him it's been a lot that he's had to deal with and I think that's you know it, it's kind of borne out this season where he's had a lot of ugly games. Yes. He has some inspired games. I think that Lakers game um, was really largely Patty Mills, but he also um, played a part in that. So that was a factor as well, but I, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's one of those things where you look back and, and he has all-star caliber numbers, but he's not worthy of an all-star. I look at him very much. Like I look at Anthony Davis on the West for different reasons though. Yeah. And, you know, Harden got off to a really rough start to begin the year and then started to, you know, pick up the pace a little bit. But yeah, he's just never found that stretch of consistency that you would expect. And and yeah, to get back to your earlier question as to as to Siakam, you know, he missed the first nine or 10 games of the regular season coming back from that shoulder injury. And then even his first, I'd say, five to 10 games. Uh, from the injury, you know, you, you've got to get acclimated. You've got to get your conditioning back and a little bit of that rust off. He hasn't played it. He hadn't played in, in quite some time, but, but yeah, as I said, in the last 20, 25 games, he's been, he's been absolutely terrific. And, you know, when, when you, when you compare watching Siakam and watching James Harden, just from an effort perspective, it's no contest. I agree. And he won his night and day. And it's sad that it is that Harden is so checked out. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's not even a comparison between the two. And I, I agree with you completely, actually. I think that if you're going to put Pascal Siakam in, especially given the way that the impact is on Toronto since he has been playing more regular, um, you have to take someone out. And James Harden is a worthy candidate to be replaced. So totally with you on that. Um, I got that, one, uh, one more thing. One more thing or in regards to that, like, you know, People aren't really uh, noticing too much, but the Raptors are now five games over 500. And, uh, you know, the Nets have been on a little bit of a slide. So it's not, a you know, if if you are the type that wants to pick their all-stars based on team success, the separation between the Nets and Raptors isn't as significant as it was a few weeks ago. Which is something to, that's, I mean, that's something to consider. Definitely looking at the Nets recent slide, they're what, two and eight in their last 10. Um, they've had a slump since Kevin Durant went down while the Raptors are surging. It evens out. When you look at it that way, you make more of an argument in Siakam's favor. All right. You ready for my next uh, East snub? I, I am definitely ready here. Let's hit it. All right. I, uh, Drew Holiday. Yes. Okay. And I have an idea who you want to take out. Let's hear that. His own teammate, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go into it, man. I was thinking the exact same thing. The exact same thing. <laughs> So what's funny is Chris Middleton is known as the mid-range maestro, right? And yeah. you know, Middleton, as as uh, early as two, you know, as as recent as two seasons ago, was shooting fifty-one percent from the mid-range. He's now down to forty-four percent from from mid-range this season. Drew Holiday shooting fifty-one percent from the mid-range. Holiday also at thirty-nine percent from three. I think last year there was a clear delineation, whereas Middleton was the number two offensive option behind Giannis and holiday was the clear number three. 
they they kind of have become sort of a co-number two. Holiday's usage has gone up from 24.1% to 27%. Middleton's is still right in that 27 to 28% range. So given that Holiday has been, uh, you know, pretty close to as efficient and as, you know, high a volume as, uh, as Middleton, and you factor in Holiday is the vastly superior defender, I think Holiday has been the Bucks' second best player. You know what? I would agree with you. I think that he's been more consistent. He stepped up in bigger games. The defensive impact that he's had has been a lot more reliable in Milton. That's not to say Milton's had a bad year, per se. He's just not exactly had a year as good as Drew Holiday has. And I think you already kind of bore out some of the numbers that, that you know, give some credence to that. But also, I mean, the, it passes the eye test as well. Yeah, um, he's uh, he's he's been terrific, and uh, the Bucks have been have been much better. They're eleven point one points better with Holiday on the floor, and surprisingly here, Corbin, nine point seven of that is on the offensive end. So the Bucks have been wow vastly superior offensively when Holiday's playing, and that just goes to show you that those numbers that I referenced of Holiday's effectiveness in the mid range and from three, and he's always been a guard that does a really good job of getting to the rim with, with high frequency. Uh, you know, the, the Bucs have just been a better offensive team when Holiday plays. Wow. I mean, there it is. I, I wasn't even aware of the impact on that. I just thought that personally, while Chris Middleton's played okay, I just didn't think he was deserving of it. I mean, you look at the numbers and yeah, on their head, 25 and five will always get you in that conversation. You already have the experience of having been a three-time all-star and you think, Hey, you know, one of the better teams in the East defending champions it just feels like chris middleton kind of rode more of his performance last season into this year's all-star game yeah and you know i don't want to suggest that middleton is like way off all-star level i think it's borderline um and even the guy i've got uh, as as the potential injury replacement for kd i would say is more borderline uh you want to hear who that is yes let's hear it so i got jared allen as the injury replacement for kevin durant Jared Allen. Okay. Okay. Go into, I don't disagree. I like that, but I do want to get your take on, I know it's pretty fleshed out. Well, and, and I'll say this, you know, I, I was, I mentioned that holiday would replace Middleton and Siakam would replace Harden. You know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to Harden Middleton or Allen getting this injury replacement role. I think they're all, they all have pretty similar cases. Um, Allen, you know, is, is a complimentary offensive piece. You know, he's a play finisher, although he has added a little bit more of the, of the post game this year. Uh, but, you know, shooting 77% at the rim. Uh, he's, he's done a good job protecting the basket along with Evan Mobley. Although, you know, I, I think it's hard at times to differentiate which one of those guys is really the reason the cast yeah. is as good as it is. Although I, I tend to lean Mobley. Okay. Uh, but uh you know, one of the things that's that's really interesting about both of them is that uh, they, they both block shots and they do so without fouling. Jared Allen at just a 2.2% foul rate, which is in the 98th percentile. And also another thing Allen does that uh, really benefits the Cavs since their, their offense isn't that explosive is he, he gets on the offensive glass, 11.5% offensive rebound rate. So you factor in his ability to finish at the rim, both you know, with those uh, short jump hooks and also with the vertical spacing and dunking in lobs combined with the offensive rebounding and then on the defensive end protecting the rim. I think he's he's got a case for sure. And and the Cavs team, I think, probably deserves two guys given how how good they've been this year. 
how close would you have Evan Mobley? Yeah, so I I actually do think he's pretty close. Um, you know, I think I think you you could make an argument that this season Jared Allen has been a better player, but I would argue Mobley has been the more valuable player. If that That's makes fair. sense, that does that does. Um, yeah. Like you can do one is obviously better, but one does the little things that are integral to keeping the team kind of going. Well, and Mobley's ability to play the four alongside Allen and uh, his ability to then play some five as well. Just that versatility that Allen doesn't have, I think is very, is very critical. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think Mobley has been a top 10 defensive player in the NBA this season. So I think that alone puts him in the conversation for, for uh, an, an all-star selection. But uh, yeah, I probably have him just a little bit short. But uh, the guy I have as my West snub is actually in a similar vein to Mobley, where a large por- a portion of his impact comes on the defensive end. Really? Okay. Well, so let's get more in that. Okay. So <laughs> um, I I. Uh, I spoiled this earlier, but he's gonna. This this player is going to replace Andrew Wiggins in the, uh, okay, on the All Star roster. I, yes, in fact, before we even do that, let me get your take on Wiggins. Were you? I mean, we we kind of talked a little bit about this, so you know. I mean, I know, but for the listeners, I do want to hear your take on Andrew Wiggins, the All Star in general. Is it worthy? Is it not? Like, let's hear it all. He's not worthy. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's having his best season of his career. He's been you know, a quality starting wing in the NBA, which is no small feat. That's impressive to, to be that. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's been a contributor on an excellent basketball team. So this isn't, you know, me saying that Andrew Wiggins is terrible at basketball or anything, but um, he's just, he, I mean, w- when you're talking about a guy being an all-star caliber player, we're talking about him being what around a top 30, top 35 player in the mm-hmm. NBA. And Wiggins is just not that, um, you know, he's, He's still, uh, you know, limited in some ways offensively. He's not the greatest of passers in the world. Uh, most of his uh, shot creation is in, in isolation on the post or or driving in. He has improved that three-point shot, but that's another thing that kind of makes me a little skittish when you're talking about a guy being deserving of an all-star. Like, you know, if Wiggins misses one or two threes every couple of games more than he has, and he's shooting, say, 37 or 38 percent from three instead of what is he around 42, would people look look at his resume as an all star completely differently? Yeah, I think I think they would. I mean, if you look at Andrew Wiggins numbers from this year to next to last year, they're better, but like only marginally. You know, you already broke down some of the numbers and how, you know, the swing up in three point shooting really kind of made the difference here. But like in its entirety, it's not that different. Right. And and yeah, like there's there's nothing wrong with with being a quality starting wing. Like every team needs those guys. And, oh, yeah. And yeah, he's put he's put himself like probably, you know, almost assuredly within like the top 70 players in the league. Like I think he he fits that criteria. But yeah, if you're trying to if you're trying to say he's a top 30 guy, I just think that's that's a bridge too far. No, I agree. I agree entirely, entirely. So that, that let's, with that being said, we've kind of understood why Andrew Wiggins isn't that player. Let, let's get to your replacement for him. Jaron Jackson Jr. Interesting. Okay. Oh, okay. 
Wow, that is okay. Tell me why I am intrigued by this one. So, I mean, again, I would say it's a similar case for him as like Evan Mobley for the Cavs, except you know, and people have said, oh, well, Jaron Jackson Jr. really struggling offensively, he's only shooting 32 percent from three. But when you factor in what Memphis had offensively last year at the four with Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson Jr. shooting 32 percent from three on high volume is helping their offense and it's helping John Morant have the best offensive season of his career. Uh, So, you know, he's having a positive impact offensively, even though yes, his shooting numbers are a little disappointing. And then when you look at the defensive side of the, of the ball, he's been terrific. The, uh, the Grizzlies are 4.9 points better per hundred possessions defensively with Jackson on the floor and opponents shoot 7.2% worse at the rim with Jackson jr. On the court. And, you know, the other thing that I think is so impressive for the first couple of weeks of the season, the Grizzlies were dead last defensively. Right. Yeah. And everyone was wondering what the heck is what the heck is going on. And then John Morant went down with an injury and then they went on. a They started going on a win streak in large part because Jackson Jr. started playing really well. And the Grizzlies are now all the way up to ninth uh, in defensive rating. And uh, I think, you know, Obviously, the Grizzlies have multiple good defensive players on that roster. But again, going back to like Evan Mobley, I think being the most valuable defensive player on Cleveland, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. fits that bill as the most valuable defensive piece for Memphis. Wow. Okay. I mean, I like it. I think that. Oh, that's weird. I like it. I just and and you gave a very good reason as to why. Jaron Jackson should be. He's he's not as as integral, but nearly as integral as John Morant has been to success in Memphis Grizzlies. But would you put that over someone like a Anthony Edwards or an Anthony Davis? I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'm gonna ask anyway. I mean, I think it's close. Um, Anthony okay. Anthony Davis is actually spoiler. He's my injury replacement for Draymond Green. Oh wow! I I, I jumped the gun. <laughs> That's okay, but oh, uh, but uh, yeah, it's. It's close. So one, one other thing I, I wanted, I had in my notes about Jackson Jr. and sort of the impact that he has. Again, having a four or five that is, is spacing so often also benefits your transition defense. Because he's out on the perimeter, he's in position to get back and to, to be a body in the path of uh, opponents trying to get to the rim on fast breaks. And, and that shows in the statistics. Opponents have uh, one point fewer or 1.7 fewer transition opportunities per 100 possessions with Jaron Jackson Jr. on the floor. So, you know, I talked about the, uh, the half-court offensive impact with his floor spacing, even despite the three-point shooting. I talked about his half-court defensive impact with the shot blocking, and then even his transition defense impact, I think just from his positioning on the offensive end, is also, is also boosting that Grizzlies defense. That that is true. I mean, you make again, you make a good point in, as far as the type of impact he's having, specifically on the defensive end. And yeah, I've seen him. He's he's kind of curtailed his fouling a little bit. I think we both agree on that. He's still having issues on that end, but like he's being his availability, I think, is a much bigger deal. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a disaster. What the first year or two, where yeah, yeah he was just uh, he was he's seemingly fouling. Uh, fouling out within like 20 minutes on the floor and yeah he's he's gotten better he still has yeah as you said he still has room to prove improve there but uh it's uh, it's gotten to a point where yes he's able to stay on the floor for significant minutes and 
and maintain that defensive impact. All right. So, I mean, that's a solid one as well. You, you haven't missed that so far. I haven't really, I've agreed to pretty much all of these. So I guess with that, we got to go to, we, we got to go to the injury replacements. You already mentioned one, Anthony Davis. Do you want to kind of go into that a little further before we go into Kevin Durant's injury replacement? Well, I, I did the, uh, Jared Allen was the Kevin Durant. Oh, I've, I'm getting mixed up. I'm getting mixed up over here. I'm thinking about, I thought he was a snub again. He's in. Jared Allen is in. And then we do have Anthony Davis. Those, these two guys, these last two guys you mentioned are definitely in here. Yeah. So Anthony Davis is the Draymond Green replacement. And I guess it doesn't really matter. I'm just still kind of focusing on East West, even though, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the all-star draft has made that, uh, you know, non-existent. But um, so Davis, he's still, I think he's still having a pretty good impact defensively, albeit it, it hasn't been his best defensive season, but the, the numbers support that Davis is still having an impact at the rim and, and making a difference there. He's still uh, freakishly long and athletic. Um, and then on the offensive end, like for the most part, he's been what we've seen from Anthony Davis in the past. He's 74% at the rim, 40% from mid range. It's just one category that he's really struggling with, which is the three point shot, um, shooting just 17% from three. So, you know, similar to, similar to Andrew Wiggins, where like, I don't want to give him too much credit for potentially an outlier shooting season. I don't want to demote Anthony Davis too much for an outlier three-point shooting season in the opposite direction. I see what you mean. You don't want to skew one like too far one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree. I mean, Anthony Davis for me is a weird one. I don't think he's that stunning. He missed a large chunk of the season. He's looking so much better now. And I could definitely see him as an injury replacement now because he has been on an absolute tear over the last couple of games, like just, just doing great stuff, um, piling up monster double doubles. You wanted, he has it the whole night, but like, let's not forget. He was a large reason for the Lakers slump to begin the season. Like, yes, injuries were a factor, but LeBron came out the gate playing very well. You know, um, Anthony Davis, the same cannot be said for him. Yeah. And like, I, I do think though, that his struggles from, from three point range have, have hurt the Lakers more with the current roster that they've built than it probably should have. Like mm-hmm. if they had actually built out a roster that had more two-way players, had more shooting in that starting lineup, you know, if Davis was struggling from three, you could just say, well, you know, pick and pop to the mid range more or pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that the, the roster construction for the Lakers has sort of accentuated the struggles of Davis from three, but uh, yeah, I mean, He's certainly similar to, you know, the last couple of guys, you know, uh, Jared Allen or, you know, somebody like Chris Middleton or even James Harden. I think he's borderline. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm curious to get your take, Corbin, because would you put uh, Anthony Edwards above Anthony Davis as the injury replacement? I would like to hear your case on that. Well, I'll put Edwards above, above Davis, you said? Yeah. I would. I would. Edwards has improved across the board. Um, the Wolves, I think, are what around at 500, barely over 500. But like, and I get why he shouldn't be just for that, but he has definitely improved, definitely had his moments. Um, defensively, I think he's been a lot better. Uh, the Wolves have not been the bottom seller of the league, so there has been you know reason for joy there. And he's been more consistent. And I think your your best availability is available. And that's not the word. 
the best I don't remember. The point is he's played poor and played a high enough level. And if you look at all of his numbers, has improved, especially across many of his advanced metrics, that I would definitely worry Anthony Edwards with a, a spot. I think that he's been a catalyst for success on the Timberwolves. The only issue kind of pushing me away from that is that in my mind, if you have two all-stars on your team, like you should be one of the upper echelon teams. You know what I mean? Because then most people are reasons why you're successful. And to have two representatives of the Timberwolves being given where they are, eh, I don't know. But then again, I guess you could say the same thing for the Lakers. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's a, it's context dependent, right? Like, I, I think that the Raptors with Siakam and Van Fleet deserve two guys, but perhaps the reason they're not, you know, a great basketball team is because they have the worst bench in the NBA, right? It's like, you can, you can have two great players, even I think the, the Boston Celtics have, have two top 30, or around two top 30 guys in Tatum and Brown, but they've somewhat struggled because I think the, the rest of the roster hasn't really contributed at a, at a high enough level. So it's all, it's all context-based and yeah, Minnesota has played some, some decent basketball as of late, you know, Anthony Edwards shooting 36% on threes, but uh, with 400 attempts, according to cleaning the glass, which uh, you know, excludes garbage time. Wow. So, you know, that, that's an impressive number and yeah, he's been, Very that, much so. He's, he's been better this year. He continues to improve. The, the, I think the, the next step for him, given his athleticism and his size and strength, is just being better finishing around the basket. But I, I could see that happening in the near future. Very much so. I agree with you on that as well. I think that those are the things that come in time, and he is improving. And, you know, there'll be another year for him. Like, I, that's I'm not really losing. It's not like, I don't know, this is a Mike Conley situation. It's his second year, and the fact that he's already improved so much, like, that's great. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Were, were there anybody, uh, were, were there any other snubs that, uh, that maybe you had in your notes, Corbin, that you wanted so, to talk about? Cause I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out as far as, uh, as my list. No, no, I am with you. I think another case could have been made on the East for a similar guy to Anthony Edwards, LaMelo ball. Uh, the Hornets have been a lot of fun, been real cool up tempo. Uh, LaMelo ball has been a reason, big reason why for the most part, he's had enough down games. I'm not totally against it. And there have been more deserving all-stars. So, I'm not really um, putting up too much of an argument for that. Another guy I liked, but he's missed just uh, just too much time for me, but I thought he had been playing well for the most part, Brandon Ingram. Uh, but he was a deep, deep. Like, there had to be a few people injured for him to make the All-Star team. Uh, again, it's the argument for that was, hey, only difference between him and Chris Middleton is the fact that he's playing on a worse team. And maybe shooting slightly worse because he's averaging the same, like, 22, 5, and 5. And, you know, I have, like, the fact that the Pelicans are – a halfway decent basketball team is on the court and they've been pretty rough when he's off. But unfortunately he's had just enough bad games and just enough missed games as well that he slides off my list there too. But that's it for the all-star snubs. I appreciate you kind of giving your, your feedback on that Garrett, very um, thoughtful on who could or could not be. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who the injury replacements are. Maybe we can circle back and whether it's on Rumble Ramble or Duncan dynasty, look back on that and, you know, have a little bit of a chuckle as we reflect there, but before we go to breaking down the Blazers Clippers trade, I do need to remind y'all folks that we do have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos. The name is Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use the code ethos, E-T-H-O-S, when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night, score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team 
or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. Speaking of thriving teams, let's talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. Love that segue. Oh my gosh, I'm rolling here. <laughs> um, let's talk about Los Angeles Clippers and the Portland Trailblazers who made a trade that I absolutely detested. I was apoplectic when it came out. I, I just did not understand it. I thought about some more. I still barely understand it. Five player trade. Ooh, Clippers uh, acquired Norman Powell and Robert Covington from the Portland Trailblazers and sent out Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a 2025 second round draft pick to Portland. Now, uh, after after we've recorded or as we're recording right now, the Blazers did play a game. Um, it was the debut of Justice Winslow. Keon Johnson did not play with an ankle injury, and Eric Bledsoe did not play with an Achilles injury, which everyone, including Law Murray on Twitter, found interesting because Eric Bledsoe was not at any injury reports all season or the game before he was traded. So it does look like maybe with the contract he has that he will be rerouted as Portland continues to do whatever the heck they're doing. But with that, I throw it over to you, Garrett. I already kind of dumped into my reaction to the trade on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. So I kind of want to get your take on, on what were you sensing both sides? What was your initial reaction? And can you please justify Portland's behavior here? Okay, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> I threw a lot at you there. <laughs> My, my initial reaction was that the Clippers won the trade, right? Absolutely. And I think getting, getting two guys in Norman Powell and Robert Covington uh, should, should help the team for this year in the event that, you know, even if just Paul George comes back at some point, this team could be scary. I mean, we saw what the Clippers could do even without Kawhi, uh, you know, winning the last couple of games in that Utah series and making it really tough on Phoenix, going small, uh, and – and acquiring a couple of guys in, in Powell that can play the two or the three and Covington that can play the three and the four, that just gives them that much more roster flexibility for Ty Lue to be able to throw out all of those small ball lineups. Even Covington could probably play some small ball five as well for this team. Uh, so I, I really like it from that perspective. And then, you know, also with Steve Ballmer as the owner, Norman Powell's contract, not the greatest contract in the world. But, you know, if you've got an owner that's just willing to pay it, like Powell's a good player. He's just overpaid. Right. So or at least he's he'll be overpaid in years like three through five of this contract. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if if you've got an owner that's willing to just foot that bill, why not bring him on? Because he's good and he'll, he'll help. So, yeah, for, from that perspective, I, I like it from the Clippers. And, you know, they didn't give up much. They, uh, you know, a second round pick. Uh, a guy in Keon Johnson who they just drafted in the first round, but a guy that I, that I actually was really high on, but to realize that he's a bit of a project and it's tough with uh, a guy that raw to really find minutes on a team that's competing right now. So, um, you know, not a ton to give up to get two quality starting players uh, and, and, you know, two guys that I think fit the Clippers system. Well, uh, as, as far as the, as far as the Blazers side of this, it it's just a bet on Keon Johnson, really, is what this is. How about that? Uh, yeah. Um, again, I, I was really high on him when I saw him, you know, coming into the draft. Six five guard, amazing, amazing athlete, like elite athlete, Corbin. And <laughs> you know, he's he's very raw from a skill perspective. He needs to he needs to work on the jump shot. He needs to work on the ball handling. But I think he's a guy that 
is going to be a really good defensive player given his his size. His uh, you know, I think he can defend twos or threes in the NBA. And, you know, he's going to be a good transition player given his speed and his verticality. So, you know, it's just a matter of can he develop that skill set? Can he and, and really it, it probably starts just from can he knock down spot up jumpers? And if he's able to do that, then that forces defenders to close out on him. And that opens up the dribble drive attacking those closeouts. And I think he could become a really, really good player. And, you know, the Blazers have committed to these sorts of guys in Anferty Simons and Nasir Little. They've they've drafted these raw players that have some athleticism and they trust their own development staff to build up the skill set to complement that athleticism. So, you know, I think it's a reasonable bet, but but yeah, you, you wonder if if Keon Johnson doesn't pan out, this trade is just, you know, probably an F on the on the grid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Johnson, the 21st overall pick, he's played just 15 games this season, averaging 3.5 points per game. Uh, from what I've listened to podcast-wise and everything, uh, I, it agrees exactly what you said um, in terms of his athleticism being the best factor. But his jump shot, which was a question mark back then, still, I guess, apparently being somewhat of an issue um, and just kind of growing in other facets of the game. So I have to ask you, given that you have watched a little bit, of course, of um, Keon Johnson, do you think, that this was worth it because obviously the one thing we can all see is that they were trying to duck the tax, right? We all can tell that that was the major um, goal of the Portland Trailblazers. And I think they'll continue to do that. We'll see some more um, moves by this front office. I think by trade come trade deadline, looking at, of course, um, expiring um, contract in Yusef Nurkic, whatever else they may do, but being that they did this and, and you look at the one guy who's going to factor into this team at all past next year, you know, outside of, I guess, whatever you think of Justin Winslow being Keon Johnson, what do you think of that guy? Is he someone that you think will come and eventually have an Anthony Simons type breakout? Is he worth this haul? Because yes, the the main goal for the Blaze was financial, but you would have to hope that they thought of the return in some capacity. Yeah, I'll mention, and, and this was something I heard on uh, on Dunked on Prime with with Nate Duncan and Danny Larue. But there, there's another factor that you you have to consider from the Blazers' perspective, and that is just getting worse for this season to help their own 2022 draft pick. Mm. I mean, that, this trade definitely does that. Um, you know, with with Damian Lillard out for a while, and uh, you know the team kind of on the edge of that play and race in the West. Like if they, if they fall down and uh, you know, just a few spots really in the standings, they could get to the point where they're maybe even fifth best lottery odds for the draft, which that, that could be very beneficial. Wow. Um, so, so that's um, something, that's something to consider. And then, yeah, you're getting a second round pick and then, yeah, you're getting Keon Johnson. And as you mentioned, you're ducking the tax. So there's a couple of there's a couple of factors that make it so that I don't think this is just an absolutely terrible trade for Portland. But, yeah, a lot of it comes down to Keon Johnson and, and their ability to develop him. And it's just it's really hard for me to sit here and predict if Keon Johnson is going to develop the skills, because that's that's very much just based on how much work he's willing to put in. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I, I think again, he's got the. I think he's got the talent to become a, a pretty darn good player. And if you look and you look at the guys again that Portland have drafted in Simons and Little, they did 
they did nothing really in their rookie year, neither of them. And, and even into their second year, it took them a while. It took them a year and a half to two years to really even start to show anything. And now I think most teams would consider those guys as uh, as positive trade assets and, and decent players, decent mm-hmm. up and coming players. So, uh, you know, it will have to wait and see if, if Johnson is in that mold or not, but I don't mind the bet. I, I, as I said at the beginning, I think that the Clippers won this trade, but I don't think it's as lopsided as, you know, I think a lot of people are suggesting and what I initially thought when I first saw it. No, I feel you on that. I, you know what? I may not necessarily agree. I still think the list should have done better. I don't know if they should have um, packaged them together. Uh, I guess. And I think you mentioned, um, I forgot which podcast it was that mentioned the point about maybe them prioritizing Keon Johnson as that prospect by, you know, offering those two plays both together. But I really feel you could have gotten maybe a couple seconds and, you know, some Sally Flotsam for Robert Covington and then done something Norman Powell where, yes, that contract is expensive, but it's by no means a negative one. Like he's had a great year, 18 points per game. 40% 40% from three like that is helpful to a title contender playoff team in general. You know what I mean? The back half of that contract. Yeah. Who knows? But like right now it's been solid. So I, I just, I get where you're coming from. Um, you, you've made excellent points better than I've had uh, before. Um, I just don't see how that is the best, but maybe I'm just a little more negative on it. Well, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think like both Powell and Covington, I, I would, I would probably say they both have like slightly positive value on their contracts uh, given their age and and everything. Um, But yeah, with the two of them, do I think the two of them are worth a first round pick? That's debatable. I would say they're worth probably a little bit less than a first round pick. Now, if Portland was willing to take on some bad salary and also send those two, they might've been able to get first round value, but they weren't, they, they wanted to actually offload some salary. So, that was their main point, yeah. So, so you're getting some value for, for offloading salary. You're getting a second-round pick, and you're also getting Keon Johnson, who I think is at least worth a second-round pick, and I assume the Blazers probably had him as a, a first-round value and, and a guy that was high up on their, their individual board. So, you know, I think value-wise, it's, it's relatively okay it's just a matter of, yeah, that Keon Johnson. It's a lot to bet on one player who, you know, has really up to this point, albeit it's early in his career, shown absolutely nothing. <laughs> you said it better. You said it best there. We'll have to see how it works out. Hopefully when he returns to the ankle injury, the Blazers will be one of those league pass teams that I'm addicted to watching because I like to see a good bad team. Um, and I think Blazers have the, the the capacity to really be that post at trade deadline. But um, kind of branching away from this deal, um, we have the trade deadline coming in a couple of days. By the time listeners listen to this, maybe two or three days. What are we what are we looking at? How are we feeling? Is there a team that you are anxious to make a move? Like, what are your general thoughts here? Let's kind of have a little dialogue on, on the upcoming trade on what we think might happen, should happen, et cetera, here. I'm I'm interested in what the Cavs are gonna do to to fill out that uh, that other backcourt spot. Um, you know, they, they obviously lost Rubio. They traded for Rondo, but that seemed to be more of just a stopgap solution. Uh, so, so they still need, especially without Rubio and without Sexton, they need a guy that can, can play some at the two. I don't think you can go into a playoff series and expect Isaac Okoro to play 35 minutes at shooting guard. I just don't think that's feasible <laughs> no. to win a playoff series at this stage. Uh, that, that's, you know, 
nothing against Isaac Okoro. He's just a very limited offensive player at this point. Of course. Stage. No. And that uh, that's, that's, there's no lie there. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they've got multiple options. And the rumors that I've heard, which I'm kind of lukewarm on, but apparently the Cavs are interested in Karis Levert. And I don't know how much that's based off of how Levert and Jared Allen played when they were together in Brooklyn. You know, they had they had a really good chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're if you're talking about how Karis Levert, if you're looking at Karis Levert from how he's played this year, I don't think he's worth what the Pacers seem to want for him, which seems to be a first round pick. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, he did explode for 42 points uh, in his most recent game. So put some respect on Karis Levert's counting. I mean, Karis Levert's name. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean, 42 points, five rebounds, eight assists. Like when he's on, he's on. But like his jumper, he takes five threes a game, but he only shoots 32%. Like it's enough to keep a defense honest, but like only just, you know, Um I think that he's someone that can be like a secondary ball handler, a secondary playmaker, just enough uh, offensive ability off the dribble. I would like him in Cleveland, potentially. I just don't know, like you said, the asking price is worth it. At the same time, I mean, you're looking at, no, I don't think it's, I don't think 18, three and four. I'm just looking just at that base counting stat is worth a first because of the value given. Like he needs shots to get to his points. You know what I mean? He's not efficient in that type of way where you give that guy, you know, seven scoring possessions and he'll end up with like 15, 20 points. You know, uh, I think the 42 point game he just had was the most efficient game in the last couple of games. Uh, it, he did 42 points on 26 uh, possessions, you know, or 19, 26 rather. Um, so I, I get you. I, I tend to, go back and forth between how I look at Karis Avert's trade value. But I do think he'd be a nice piece on Cleveland because he does bring some size. He does bring some, does bring some potential scoring, a uh, shooting ability, definitely brings a scoring, can play on the ball, can kind of play off the ball and slash an attack. And I think he'd fit well within what Cleveland's trying to do. And you're right. Having that great uh, chemistry with Jared Allen might transfer over to Evan Mobley as well. And then you have additional size that you can use. I can see a Darius Garland, Karis Levert. Um, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen starting five. That that's pretty crazy, you know. Yeah, I I like Karis Levert in the role of like when uh, you know as ball handler creator when Garland sits. Mm. I just don't love him as a fit next to Garland. In part because yeah, he's shooting thirty two percent from three, so he doesn't provide great floor spacing when Garland is is handling and then also he doesn't bring a ton defensively either which you you really kind of need next to Darius Garland which is why at least defensively Isaac Okoro is a great fit in the backcourt with Garland so you know yes you're obviously bringing in a guy that can help you on the offensive end but I think he hurts you a bit defensively and then also yeah you're you're talking about I I don't think he's a great fit with arguably the Cavs best player and all-star in Darius Garland. So that, that is a bit of an issue. One, one other element of that, of, of a potential trade with the Pacers though, that I like for Cleveland is they could potentially convince Indiana to throw in Justin holiday, who I think would, would provide some much needed depth for the Cavs on the wing. That would be interesting. I think Justin holiday, the only issue would be, well, he'd be fine with the COVID vaccination restrictions, right? I believe so. Yes. Because he doesn't have it, but it probably would work there. Yeah, okay, well, I mean, yeah, that. I mean, as far as a player, there, there's no argument there. He definitely would be um, an immediate uh, upgrade as far as a perfect 3 and D guy, um, space the floor, 
slot in, defend multiple positions, fit in well with the Cavs' overall defensive scheme. I I would agree with that completely. But yeah, I you know, Holiday shooting thirty eight percent from three. So yeah, I think he'd be a good fit. The the thing that the thing that I really come back to though is if the Cavs are going to throw in a first round pick, I think they should just be targeting someone. And 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 you've got the matching salary and Ricky Rubio to trade yep. for a mid size contract. They should be going after a bigger fish. I agree. Like just a better player than Lavert. And heck, if, you know, if you can get a guy that's significantly better than Lavert and also it has a contract for multiple years. I'm not necessarily opposed to the Cavs throwing in multiple firsts to get a guy that they know helps them now and into the future. But I I find the Cavs so fascinating here because with the Eastern conference, you know, those teams at the top kind of struggling for, for whatever reason and and injuries and all of that, like it it feels pretty wide open. Yeah. I I would agree with you. It definitely does have a kind of weird mix. We have the Bucks kind of just kind of languishing around uh, the Nets have been in the slump. The Raptors are rising. The Bulls at the top, but you know they've been dealing with some injuries of their own. I agree. Like it, it can definitely happen. I definitely think that you know uh, some team and the Cavs could be that one team in the Eastern Conference could make a trade that immediately kind of vaults them in, into some surprise superiority. Yeah, and and honestly, um, if I can transition to the other, yes, conference, let's do it. The uh, the thing that fascinates me is just which. Which Western Conference team, whether that's whether that's Phoenix, whether that's Golden State or Memphis or Dallas or Denver or the Lakers, we already saw the Clippers uh, made a move and maybe they still have another move or two before the deadline in them. But which of those teams feels like they're close enough to, you know, and and, and are one piece away, really? like a Harrison Barnes or a Jeremy Grant away mm-hmm. from truly competing and potentially winning the Western conference. That to me is really fascinating because I could see four or five teams convincing themselves of, uh, of that possibility. No, I agree. And it's very much like the East, except a little more on steroids, I guess, in the sense that you have a bunch of teams kind of in that four through eight range, you know, trying to, some are trying to desperately avoid the playing tournament, a cough, Lakers cough. Others are trying to kind of solidify themselves, the upper echelon of the West and, you know, you have other teams even like maybe the Timberwolves. They're like, hey, you know, we are right there in this thing. You know, we are playing some decent 500 ball. If we just get uh, one additional big or a little extra shooting or whatever the case may be, we can be right in the mix of this thing. So I, I completely agree. I guess one question I want to ask you before we close out here, what's one player that you're really looking forward to um, being moved? To me, it's Harrison Barnes because – you know, for one, Sacramento's not going anywhere, and they've uh, they've they've held on to him in, in past deadlines. Even though I, I felt like they should have probably gotten rid of him, and he's he's the perfect <laughs> guy that I think fits onto most teams. Like, even though I don't think he's like a perfect fit on the Lakers, given that LeBron is best at the four and Davis is best at the five. Like, he's an upgrade on any three the Lakers have. If if you want to put him out of position even a little bit he's still a better three than trevor ariza for instance yeah Uh, no he was definitely yeah i I get you on that so you know i think he could help a lot of teams i think he could i think he could help dallas pretty significantly i think he could that's ironic (laughs) yeah uh i i I frankly i think he could help golden state going back to golden state that's even more but yeah i agree help them quite a bit so he's a guy that i could see a, a number of teams being interested in and and you know, 
quality player that can defend multiple positions. He's strong enough to play four in a small ball lineup that a lot of these teams are going to want to go to. So yeah. And, and he's, he's having arguably the best offensive season of his career, getting to the free throw line, a bunch, knocking down threes. He's got the off the bounce game. So he's a perfect plug and play player that every team needs and Memphis, you know, I think he'd be a great fit at Memphis. If oh they my could, gosh. They yeah. Grab him too. So he would, I guess my one player would be Jeremy Grant. Um, I just would like to see him on a team where I'm getting some heavy kind of Aaron Aflalo vibes with him. And remember Aaron Aflalo a couple of years ago, um, kind of a three and D player for the Denver Nuggets, went to Orlando, became the main guy on a team that sucked. You know, he was getting all the shots. He won everything he wanted there, but the team was pretty trash, right? Um, then he went from that to the Portland Trailblazers, and I think he struggled to kind of adjust to the type of player that he was because he really wasn't that player. You know, he's really at best a third option, but he was able to eat whatever he wanted, you know, on a, on a bad team. And it's reassimilating yourself to a better team where the options therefore are better than you. Um, and you know what? Alfaro never did kind of find his way in that, you know, he, he never really did become that player and didn't really matter because his whole kind of bottom fell out in terms of his career, his career, um, trajectory and then he was at the league in a couple of years in fact he ended his career again in Orlando but with Jeremy Graham seeing a guy who at least if the rumors are to be true that he wants to go to a team that one he itself an extension but two can still get like a healthy portion of the offense and I just don't look at Jeremy Grant as that guy I mean we saw him do it in Detroit and it didn't end very well for Detroit so like for an actual team with any legitimate you know, um, designs for winning significantly. Jeremy Grant, I don't think, can be your number one or number two player. I mean, his career average of 22 points per game came on 42% from the field um, on a true shooting, if I remember. I'm looking it up right now just to get it on a true shooting of quick, quick time here. 55%, which isn't bad, but it's definitely not super great. Um, And that was on a Pistons team that was in the cellar. You know what I mean? I think I have number one pick for a reason. So, like, I think Jeremy Grant, if he is able to play within himself right now over this season, he's averaging 19 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 2.5 assists, uh, shooting a three ball, okay, 34%. That's kind of around his career mark, uh, but definitely a dip over the past two seasons from his 39 and 38% clips perspectively, respectively in OKC in Denver in that 2018, 2019, and then 2019, 2020 season. So if you're able to get him to a spot where you can just stick to those spot threes, you know, play a little bit off the bounce in terms of the closeout since you do have that newfound skill to kind of get to the basket, you know, play good defense, be that help defender, you know, swing between the three, the four, and even the five, and also be able to defer to better offensive talents on your team. I think you make a significant upgrade to uh, Eastern or Western uh, conference contending team. And so I really want to see a move made for Jeremy Grant, uh, especially when that gives Detroit some younger guys to grow along with Kate Cunningham, Killian Hayes, Deke Bay, and all those guys there as well. Um, yeah, my, uh, yeah. 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 I, I think Jeremy Grant is fascinating because yeah, the, the role he was on in Denver is the perfect role for him. If you're trying to maximize his ability mm-hmm. to contribute on a championship team, but now I don't even know if he would be a great fit on Denver, given they've got a guy in Aaron Gordon who essentially replaced him. Exactly. I also don't think he would be a great fit with the Lakers, given that I think they just need to add a guy that can that is a is a legit three point shooter that also can defend. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's why I think Harrison Barnes would be would be a good fit for for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the the amount of teams that I think Harrison Barnes can fit on is is uh, 
is uh, larger than than for for Grant. But the the one team, and, and I mentioned this when we did our sort of our fake trade episode on Duncan Dynasty. The the one the one team <laughs> that I think would be an interesting fit for Jeremy Grant is the Dallas Mavericks. I think that yes. That could, um, you know, sort of the perfect meld of talent. They need a little bit more athleticism. They need that guy that that you know they've put Maxi Kleba to to guard the guys like Kawhi Leonard or whatever. And uh, I think they just need another guy that can can do that sort of thing and just bring a little bit more athleticism to that team. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think that that fit would actually be really interesting. So definitely something to kind of keep an eye on for hopefully in, in a move that, that could be made. So we'll definitely see, but my last final question before I let you go, Garrett, two words. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Ben Simmons. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know people like just want this saga to end and, and I do too, but I don't see it happening. I, uh, you know, there was a, I think I saw a tweet today that was something to the effect of the Sixers, um, you know, don't want to attach any assets in a Ben Simmons for James Harden trade because James Harden is disgruntled. Well, what's Ben Simmons then? If James Harden is disgruntled, exactly. what's the word that's more powerful than disgruntled? Because that's what Ben Simmons is. So, yeah, yeah, um, you said it. Every rumor that I've heard coming out of the Philadelphia camp is just them being completely oblivious to the actual value of Ben Simmons. They just seem to be in a different universe as far as what his value is. So I don't see a deal happening. I think Ben Simmons is going to stay on the roster and Daryl Morey is going to take the risk of, of wasting a year of Joel Embiid's prime and go into the off season and potentially make a move then. But who knows? It, it might not even happen for another but, you know, we could be talking about this at the next trade deadline. I really hope not for our sanity. I mean, mine specifically, Garrett, but I just want to see a move be made. I do think that, you know, you do get a guy like Joel Embiid playing the way that he is, tied with LeBron James this season and scoring, definitely among the leaders in the MVP. And, yes, you have a team that definitely fits around them, but you can get a couple upgrades as well for Ben Simmons. Just do that. Like, stop trying to go for this big fish that isn't there. You know what I mean? And guess what? If he's not playing and the further goes down, I mean, then you're going to be trying to trade the idea of Ben Simmons over the actual production of him, you know? So I just don't see it. I hope something gets made, but unfortunately – I am more on your side in the sense that I don't see that happening. So we, we will definitely see kind of where that goes. But um, Garrett, thank you, man, for giving me some of your time. You know, it's always a pleasure we talk. I, I value our conversations. I have a lot of fun with them. And I just thank you for the time. Absolutely, man. It was a blast. And yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm just a phone call away. I'll come on whenever you want me, Corbin. I appreciate you, man. Y'all, listen, make sure to check Garrett Bouguet. This guy's a talented brother. Um, happy to say a good friend of mine, but we're not just talking about basketball, of which he's definitely big on that. Um, we're all talking about just, again, film, TV, kind of a two-hour or three-hour pod on video games, on Duncan Dynasty, which I'm happy to be a co-host of. So check that out, Duncan Dynasty, wherever you find podcasts. Check out Garrett Bougay on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A. Definitely make sure to do that, y'all. You will not regret it. You'll be better for it. I am telling you 100%. Speaking of that, you can follow me on Twitter if you are so inclined. Corbin MBA, that's where it is. C-O-R-B-A-N-M-B-A. Pretty simple. Nothing to it outside of that. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Round by Ramble. Let me know how I'm doing, how I can make it better. I really would like to do that, and I can only do it with your help. Sports Ethos presentation. You know what to do. Sports Ethos on Twitter. Also online, sportsethos.com. And then quickly, before we sign off, I want to remind you all to use coupon code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. 
Also, check out our pals at mybookie.ag. Use the code HoopBall on the third page of Science Unlock. Deposit match bonuses there as well. That's HoopBall20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0. Yes, I know where sport ethos is changing. But all that being said, for Garrett, for myself, we are frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. All right, y'all.